Welcome once again to the So Weird Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Emily. And I'm Jimmy. And tonight we are talking about Season 3, Episode 6, Episode 45 altogether, which is Bangle By. Now, what's our mystery of the week this time, guys? Hypnotism. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, yes. Now, this is another episode that starts with the Phillips tour bus coming into a town with a weird secret, which I think they run into about every other week from what I recall. Mm-hmm. And um, in this town, the children are unearingly polite. Um, all the kids have straight days at school. They don't play outside that often. And when they do, they let the other kids win. Mostly, they seem consumed by a video game called Bangle By. Uh, soon enough, Jack and Clue succumb to the game's wills, and Anne and Carrie have to investigate, and then they find an old man and his sickly wife at the center of the story. Now, I have a real important question for you guys, which is, what the hell is a bangle by? You know, I looked it up, and all I could find was this episode. So it's it's a nonsense word. It has no actual meaning. I mean, maybe if you broke it down, it would make more sense, but the word itself, I think, is meaningless. Isn't a bangle like something on a bracelet or something? So maybe like the pendulum. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to sound like something you'd hear in a carnival because they were in a carnival. Yeah, I have. I was wondering if it was some sort of antiquated word meaning something, but okay. Apparently, it is just complete nonsense with no meaning whatsoever. Much like this episode. Oh, I kid a little. Mostly, not really though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this one. A big fan of the whole brainwashing storyline, like in any show, I don't find it particularly interesting. I kind of dislike that there was no explanation of how he was, you know, doing it. It was just kind of like, okay, he brainwashed everyone, but how? Like, oh, he's a hypnotist. Oh, okay. But like, how did he create this game? Yeah. The the episode raises a lot of questions. uh, That's for sure. I mean, because first off, apparently he's producing a cross-platform video game title in his garage, I guess. Um, You know, I love that little scene where he's like in this alcove in the back of this rental store that rents nothing but copies of this video game. And it looks like an old jukebox. And somehow this contraption is allowing him to program and create a game. And we see characters, you know, uh, Jack and Clue play the game on what is a Game Boy that has been filmed in such a way to remove any sort of official branding. So where is he designing the cartridges? You know, I mean, this is this was 2000, 2001. So a video game on disc didn't play the same that a video game on cartridge did. In fact, I think the people who wrote this episode probably didn't know a lot about video games at all, which was not uncommon during mm-hmm. this time period. And really, it's still like every once in a while, you'll still see NCIS or CSI, one of those cop shows that run for 10,000 years, and they'll do a gaming episode, and it's always like the TV making Pac-Man noises and people talking about getting the high score as if these are things that are still relevant in that Mm -hmm. world nowadays. I found myself wondering as well, like, okay, he made Game Boy cartridges, and he was putting it on disc, uh, but we only see him making the discs, so... And he was playing the the game while he was copying it over. I don't know if he's just checking to make sure it worked or what was the purpose of that. That same line, the pendulum, the pendulum. 
Yeah, I mean, from what we hear of Bangleby, we never actually see the game. We just hear it. It doesn't sound like it would be a very interesting video game to play. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess he just hooks you really quick so you don't even realize how boring it is, but it doesn't sound in- interesting at all. And I love how the uh, the spooky old British guy, he's like a drug dealer on an 80s PSA. He gives you the first hit for free, and then that hooks you and you have to come back. He does give off some creepy vibes, so props to that actor. Right. Yeah. Now, now, who is that? Is that uh, Matthew Walker? Is that actor? Yes. Okay. Um, He played in a bunch of stuff. Yes. Number one, which I did not realize watching this episode, but he was in the 1994 version of Little Women, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. (laughs) He looks totally different in this, though. That's the one with Monona Ryder, right? Yes. I think I've seen that before, yeah. And his wife played... um, is played by Paula Shaw, and the one notable thing I noticed she was in, although she's in tons of stuff, but was Freddy vs. Jason. She plays Pamela Voorhees, Jason's mother. Oh, wow, really? hmm That's cool. Right. Yeah, it looks like they've both been in a ton of stuff. Looks like um, the man has done a lot of Canadian television, and she's been in all sorts of movies. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And the one notable actor from this uh, that I really liked was uh, the kid who played Russell is played by Andrew Francis. And he's actually been in a lot of projects with Alex Johnson after So Weird. Uh, He had like a bit part in Final Destination 3, which he's like a lead character in. Yeah, I keep forgetting uh, she's in that. Yeah. And then he also is like a supporting actor in both of her Lifetime movies, The Devil's Diary and Stranger with My Face. Looks like he does a lot of voice work as well. So that's cool. Yeah. 188 credits. That's impressive. Yeah. Wow. And then um, just one more I need to mention because Kathy's not here. Uh, (laughs) The woman who plays the innkeeper, I guess, uh, Janet is Beverly Elliott, and she is known now for uh, being Granny in Once Upon a Time. Granny Lucas. And she was also in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, which I semi-liked as a teen. Doesn't that star uh, Blake Lively as well? Is she in that? I I remember that, um, you know, the girl from Gilmore Girls uh, is in that, and like America Ferrara. I, I think I, I saw this movie. I'm pretty sure I saw this. Yeah, Amber Tamblin. Yeah, okay, it's coming back to me now. And Blake Blake Lively's in it, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, it, it does appear she blonde. is the hot blonde. It's just funny, you know, what actors pop up in these episodes that you recognize years later, <laughs> and how their paths cross. Like that's unique to me to see all these Canadian slash American actors and how they play in different things with each other later in life, or maybe they played on the same show but a different episode. It's interesting. Yeah, there, there's so many former Highlander cast members that have had bit parts on So Weird. I mean, it's just... Um, right. I mean, well, it's just because everything was all filmed in Vancouver, so you had lots mm-hmm. of people going back and forth from the same stuff. Um, yeah, you know, to me, this episode is a very kind of stock parts, typical season three episode. I think it's super lame because it's both trying to be like a video games are bad cautionary story, which you see saw a lot of in the 90s because there's always this cultural drive to demonize new technology we're always afraid of new technology which is why you've seen a lot of tv shows and 
occasionally a movie or two about the evils of the internet or cell phones. I, I don't know. I, you'll probably get a lifetime movie about these kids who spend millions of dollars on Fortnite and shit like that without their parents even knowing. And I'm sure that's coming. So it's that, but it's also like the villain's plan is literally he wants to get the kids off his lawn. Like that is literally his master plan. And yet every kid in the town has to play it so that he can have a like clean lawn and his wife has peace and quiet. Yeah, and it's the, that reveal at the end. I mean, first off, like, how many times in season three does the episode end with Annie just talking the antagonist out of what they're doing? Like, how, how that's happened at least once before. It, like, they say to him, like, oh, well, your wife loved the challenge of this and that. You know, why are you depriving her of the stimuli now? And in, like, two seconds, he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, let me design a sequel to my hit game that has the exact same cover art. Right. And I thought it was cool, like, his posters were printed, like, that same day. Like, how long were in, they in this town? They were only there for a couple of days, and he did all this in just the span of one or two days. Yeah, it takes a little longer than that to design even a short video game. I, I kind of like how they try to make the episode's antagonists sympathetic and give sort of emotional element to the story, but it's so freaking lame like this is a cornball episode i don't really like the way he talks about his wife either i mean she just had a heart attack but he's talking about her like she's already dead he's like challenge is what she lived for well she's still alive <laughs> i don't know that kind of bothered me and the way they treat that character they act as if she's had a stroke or some sort of uh, incident like that but it's just been a heart attack i mean people bounce back from heart attacks all the time Exactly. It's not a debilitating thing, mm -hmm. necessarily. So that was weird. Um, and not like weird, like so weird, just weird, like disappointing weird. But I, I bet there are some things to like about this episode, right? It's kind <laughs> of fun to see Patrick Levis and uh, Eric Von Detten acting a little bit differently. <laughs> there were some funny parts, like their lines were pretty funny for sure. Did any of you guys catch the name of the town that they were in? I don't think it even says where they are. No, I don't think they did. The no. only thing that I noted was Molly had a Denver omelet at the bed and breakfast. So I was like, are they in Colorado? Or maybe that's just the name of the omelet, like how it's made. I don't know. Yeah, what is a Denver omelet? I I've heard of like a Texas style omelet, but wait, let me, something else I got to Google here. One thing that I was kind of intrigued by with this episode was that Molly was going to go talk to some middle school students. But then they don't even show her talking to anyone. Yeah, Molly has nothing to do with this episode. She's there in the beginning, has like one scene, and then shows up at the ending. Like, And this is something you can see throughout season three. Really, The writer's really struggling with what to do with the other characters that aren't Annie and Carrie and Clue and Jack or whatever. Um, by the way, a Denver omelet just has bell peppers, onions, and ham in it, which just sounds like a regular breakfast omelet to me. But it's, it's going to raise her cholesterol. So Jack says, Mom, watch your cholesterol. <laughs> I, I do like that. I mean, that scene is sort of funny where Jack and Clue are doing the whole Ward Cleaver thing. And they're in the button-up shirt, shirts and the suspenders. And they're drinking orange juice and reading the newspaper. And it pays off amusingly at the end with the whole discussion between Clue and his dad about stocks. That was amusing to me. That was funny, yeah. I guess it makes you wonder, like, what were the parameters of his hypnotism plan? Like, he was wanting them to become more, I don't know, well-rounded? 
not just like good kids, but oh, knowledgeable about things too. Yeah. He talks about indexing their funds and diversifying their portfolios. So I guess it definitely made them more intelligent because all the kids had A pluses. It reminds me a bit of Pleasantville, which I just looked up, came out in 98. So it's entirely possible that that might have been inspired by this, this whole idea of taking the modern youths and taking them back to sort of a stereotypical picket fence 1950s suburban attitude. I mean, and, it also reminds me a little bit of Vampire because, you know, Jack joins the student group that's all about making the world a better place and then finds out, oh, it's actually got a dark secret. Though this is a much less dark secret, secret than that one. But, uh, yeah. you know, so do the kids need like a, a daily or weekly dose of Bangle Bile? If they left the town, would the brainwashing wear off eventually? Do they have to have, a, have it renewed? at a specific time. So many questions. The, well, the writers we, really let us down on that one. And we noticed like Janet's son, Kenny, like when Molly and the gang get there, he's still playing the game. And then I think she makes note that like all he does is play this game and do his homework. Which I think uh, goes back to what Zach was saying about how this episode kind of negatively portrays video gamers as zombies. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they can't have, like, been playing the game for very long because when Annie comes out, like, after Molly and Irene have the discussion with his mom about him, like, oh, he used to build airplanes and fly them, but he doesn't anymore. But ironically, there's still a plane and a remote control left in Janet's lawn or, like, in her rosebush or something. I'm like, well, if he wasn't playing with the airplanes and stuff, how come there is one right outside, like, the sprinklers don't turn on or it never rains? Yeah, and that, and then Annie picks up the controller and immediately starts flying this plane around, and I, I would think there was something of a learning curve with remote-controlled <laughs> planes. And she plays it without permission. Yeah, so, and and one, one other thing about this episode, I think the thing that sticks with me the most about this particular episode is how it actually uses the stereotypical swirly eye thing when people are hypnotized, which is... You know, such a ridiculous cliche. I mean, I can't even remember the last time I saw it in something that wasn't, like, made by those creepy hypnotism fetishists you see on fan art websites all the time. Like, that's, like, the only context I encounter this visual cliche anymore. Um, <laughs> right. So it's just to actually see a straight example of that, like, a, just a straight-up portrayal of that in something is... I, I don't know, you know, I, I just feel like the writers weren't really putting a lot of effort into this one, guys. I hate to throw stones, but... Yeah, and I think it was only written by one guy, Alan Levy, which he had done a lot of writing of, like, uh, some early 90s stuff. It, it's all his fault. <laughs> and did you notice that this episode had a lot of, like, weird kind of poppy rock music, but none of it really had anything to do with the actual show. There's a lot of weird music in this episode, whereas a lot of the other episodes, you don't hear a lot of different background music than what is kind of geared into the show. But this one had all kinds of weird, like, pop rock. Upbeat and incidental music. Yeah. Like while Annie was flying the plane. You know, I will say about this one, um, it is sort of fun to see Annie and Carrie paired up and sleuthing around. You haven't seen too much of them together. So that's sort of neat. Are there any, I, I guess, I wish Kat was here. She would know if there were any people that ship Carrie and Annie, even though the age difference there is kind of shaky. <laughs> They'd have a good ship name, Canny. 
<laughs> you know, I know there's only like 12 people in the entire So Weird fandom, but it seems to me every weird possible combination exists. <laughs> I'm sure there are Carrie Annie shippers. Speaking of Annie, there's a scene right before commercial where you see her like thinking about putting the game in. So are we supposed to believe that she actually played the game after the commercial break? It wants you to kind of think that at first, and then like she goes and bakes cookies for old man and lady Johnson, and then um, she, as soon as he goes in the house, then she like breaks character um, mm -hmm. and starts talking to the lady. Yeah, and she's wearing like the polo shirt and the khakis in that scene as well. So I think they're trying to do a misdirect there, but it in no way works. Not for one second did I ever believe Annie had, uh, you know, smoked the crack and was addicted now. <laughs> And I thought it was interesting, like, when she does go up onto their porch, they have their photo album from their circus or carnival days. But he makes note that old lady Johnson, she never looks at it anymore. She won't look at it. But I'm like, well, why is it right there on your porch if, <laughs> you know? How convenient. You know, they just have this <laughs> bit of exposition laying right out there in the open for the audience to see. Mm -hmm. Good point. So, you know, and I will say at this point in season three, Alex Johnson is starting to grow on me a little. Because at least there's no Spirit Panther, Deus Ex Machina in this episode to come along and resolve the entire plot and give Annie no agency at all. You know, she actually is a little proactive in this and she doesn't come off as super simpering and fake and annoying. So I will give this episode that much. I don't despise Annie in it. <laughs> right. She was kind of smart in it, how she like realized what was going on pretty quickly and then she also kind of did a little bit of um sherlock holmes work where she kind of tricked the old man in a way like she took on a, that character and acted like she had played the game to kind of trick him and i thought that was kind of cool yeah so uh, like i said this is definitely um one of the better episodes of season three in that regard which is really kind of sad otherwise because i think this is a super mediocre middle of the road almost borderline really bad episode mm -hmm. for sure i like the part like when we first see clue playing uh soccer with them when he's like you do not want a piece of me and the kid's like well no actually go go ahead would you like a shot i i really laughed at that part yeah i enjoyed that as well you know eric von den yeah. seeing him ham it up and be goofy is always amusing he, he's yeah. always good for a laugh or two Always. And I noticed a little part that I think nodded to the voodoo episode. Emily, you were on that episode at the end when he's like, man, I'm starting to realize these games are really boring. And then Jack's like, oh, no, he says, do you want to throw around a football? And then Jack says, do you think you can actually catch it yet? And I thought that was a nod to voodoo because remember, he couldn't catch the football in that episode. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, good catch. Ah, good catch. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm bum tisk. <laughs> I wasn't on that episode, but I will say Voodoo is one of the better season three episodes. <laughs> Good. Yeah, we agree on that. <laughs> Even though it definitely had a lot of bad points to it as well. Well, uh, that's the thing with the season. Even the good episodes have a couple of buts and ifs and, you know, aside froms in there. So anything else we have to say about this? Well, I feel like we haven't said nearly enough, but I, I can't think of anything else to say. <laughs> I like that Irene kind of had a little one-liner, like when they're first entering the bed and breakfast. Janet says, well, breakfast is any time after six. And then Molly says, we'll probably be around eight o'clock. And then 
Irene says, uh, make that 9 a.m. That's like her one line in the whole episode. Yeah, I was going to say that, uh, her that one-liner in the two seconds of screen time she has. And I think you had mentioned before, like, is Clue, like, a surfer, or he kind of has that, like, surfer kind of feel about him? But yeah. in this episode, he specifically says, like, well, what can you realistically do with a stock dad? You can't eat it, can't drive in it. Or surf on it, so what you need to do is invest in a really cool surfboard. Or a station wagon, so you could drive your surfboard around. I yeah, that was really cool. For the hardcore Clue fans, this episode confirms he is, in fact, a surfer dude. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we ready to drop our ratings on this one? Yeah. Alright, I, I would give this one like a 4.5 out of 10, maybe a 5 if I was feeling particularly charitable. I don't know, man. I feel like this is one of those episodes where my rating system fails me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because I don't really like this episode, but I also don't hate it. Like, there's not a lot that offends me about it. So can I do, like, two sideways thumbs? It makes you feel nothing at all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just, I don't like it enough to give it a thumbs up because, okay, I didn't even give Voodoo a single thumbs up. I also gave it a thumbs down. I obviously wouldn't put it on the same rating as Voodoo. So I'm going to give it two thumbs pointing at each other horizontally. There you go. Your rating system is broken, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) This episode broke it. Yeah. Emily is neutral. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I I agree with her, though. Like, this doesn't... I really have no overwhelmingly positive or negative feelings about this one, either. Exactly. It definitely felt like more of a filler type episode it was like okay well we just gotta throw a storyline out there and like get some canadian actors you know it was definitely a filler type episode it, it the, not to interrupt you jimmy not oh. to interrupt you but speaking of canada oh boy you can hear those canadian accents when the kids say sorry i'm really <laughs> sorry about that they say it like four times in a row and, and that's when you're reminded like oh this show is not it might be set in America, but it was sure as shit filmed in Canada. <laughs> yeah, definitely. On site. Yeah, in Vancouver. Um, definitely Canadian all the way. And Alex, I think, to this day says sorry. Like, it's just a Canadian thing to pronounce that word the way it is spelled in Canada. Well, yeah, of course. In fact, I remember um, I was watching an audio commentary for an Ellen Page movie. And she's Canadian. She's from Nova Scotia. And she was talking about how they had to loop her dialogue because she said sorry in a scene. They had to re-loop it. So she had, she was using the American pronunciation. So it happens. <laughs> oh, wow. So I guess for my rating, I really am just going to give it like a 3 out of 10. Because like I say, it just kind of was a pacifying episode for fans. Like, okay, we need an episode this week. It didn't do much for me. I did kind of like the hypnotism side of it just because we got to see, like, oh, these old characters, they, you know, the wife did a trapeze act or walked on a high wire, and then he was, like, the magician slash hypnotist. So I like that there was a little bit of backstory, but really it was such a pacifying episode. I have to give it, like, a three. Yeah, it kind of depends on how you look at it. Like, you know, some people are inclined to rate something really boring and mediocre much, much lower. If it was, like, egregiously bad, it would be interesting. And this is just kind of boring. So, <laughs> One note I wanted to make about the other actor, like, the other little boy uh, who... Oh, gosh, what's his name? His name is 
Bobby, which is played by Ryan DeBoer, just wanted to say that he had played um, Scully's little brother, Billy, in The X-Files. In, oh, like, yeah. a, a flashback scene. Yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb, and it, he's, he again, some Canadian television here, uh, or shows filmed in Canada, I mean, Dark Angel, X-Files, The Sentinel, uh, The Darklings, I remember that TV movie, and um, it looks like his biggest role was in Stephen King's Dreamcatcher, which is maybe the worst Stephen King movie, so. <laughs> okay, so I hear we have fan mail, I've, I, it trickled down through the grapevine to me that we have some feedback this week. Yeah, we have a few comments. Okay, the first comes from Kobe on YouTube. This was on our interview with Dave Squatch Ward. He said, thanks for this. I just found out that you did this. How on earth did you end up getting to interview him? Regardless, it was cool to hear him talk about his life, his experiences on the show, and it was heartwarming to hear that he's still in touch with Kara. Well, I wish Kathy was here because she was the one that set up that interview. From what I recall from my understanding she's met dave a few times and they've have kind of a casual internet acquaintance and they've talked a few times so it's it's really it was all on her she helped make that happen yeah when she went to vancouver like she made it a point to go see his band perform and then she was able to meet him at the bar that he was performing at so thanks Gosh. kathy she's a big fan <laughs> of his music He's a musician, if you didn't know. And she loves his music. She's always promoting his songs and stuff when they get released on iTunes. She's a huge fan of his. If you're listening, Kathy, come on the show and defend yourself. Uh, <laughs> right. Thanks, Kobe. Uh, we have a comment from Marky on YouTube on our Voodoo episode. They said, this is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, loved the song Molly sang too. Yeah, I think a lot of people consider it one of the better ones from season three. I do like the song as well. Um, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you listen to our review? I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. No, I'm sorry. I'm not doing my duty as a co-host. Ooh. He's See not a true you. fan. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Jimmy? Oh, I was going to say the song was catchy. And I did mention you in that podcast, the Voodoo Podcast, Zach, just because I was like, oh, you didn't know Blake Lively was um, Eric Lively's sister, but then I had watched that Teen Witch movie from, like, what, 1983? And then I realized that the actress in that is Robin Lively, which is both of their older sister. I didn't know that. Anyway, I had that. no idea that the Lively dynasty was so far-reaching. <laughs> yeah. As I said, I, I like the song from that episode, Voodoo, but um, it's a little repetitive. Thanks, Marky, for the feedback. This one is on YouTube, and it's also on the Voodoo app. This is from AZN SETI. They said, rewatch this app about a month ago, so I'll just paste what I tweeted about this app. I don't know why I wasn't bothered as a kid by how forgiving Annie was to Sally after almost having been seriously injured slash killed by her. Like y'all said, she was basically all, it's okay, you're just following your dreams. LOL. Yikes. <laughs> also, I wish Annie and Molly's falling hallucinations were switched. That way, Annie's has the outdoorsy cliff and Molly's has the black hole slash gates of hell looking vortex. Would have made much more sense with their arcs and added unique depth to the voodoo concept 
by conjuring up buried memories, such as losing Rick for Molly and getting lost in the jungle slash outdoors for Annie. And I wish What You Do wasn't so repetitive because it was one of the better composed songs in season three. Overall, it's still one of my favorite season three eps as it felt the most reminiscent of season one. Thanks for pointing out it was written by some season one vets. I thought that was a really good point. I like that he said they, or she or he said they should have been switched because that makes a a lot of sense. Yeah, that does make sense. That's a good explanation. The ending totally, yeah, it just fails the episode because the rest (laughs) was really good. All right. Well, thank you for the feedback to the person who wrote that, uh, whose name I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. Is there anything else we want to say here or are our thoughts concluded on this particular episode? Well, I'd just like to say and point out that our two-year podcasting anniversary was a few days ago. Two years already, huh? Wow. I know, which is just amazing. I mean, I wasn't sure I'd be able to do a couple episodes of this. And here we are two years later, still doing it and with people still listening. Yeah, we're coming in for the the home stretch here, you know? So thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think anytime somebody starts a project, you never really know if it's going to work out. When you're doing a sort of retrospective series like this, there's always... I mean, not so much so weird because there's not a lot of people talking or writing about the show in general. But anytime somebody starts a retrospective, there's always this fear that they're not going to complete it, which I think has happened with so weird a couple of times and I, I looks like we're going to be one of the first the first so weird podcast to complete the run of the series so you know i'll well, bragging rights on that for the six people <laughs> listening to this oh <laughs> uh, more re- than six <laughs> right and i really want to thank like uh, all of you guys because initially we were going to like bunch the third season up we were going to bunch the episodes together and maybe discuss a couple episodes together but um of course two other cast members came on so i'm thankful that we are breaking down the episodes and even if we only talk about it for 20 30 minutes it's still nice to have separate episodes for each episode yeah i agree i think that was the right way to do it to give every episode it's proper room to talk about it even if it is one like this which we didn't really have too much to say about our podcast has evolved a little bit since the beginning we have new hosts and uh we're starting to do interviews with people involved with the show it's an exciting time yeah hopefully we will have even more interviews coming we have you know a couple we're possibly working on and of course yeah obviously thank you so much to everybody who has been listening you know, it's great. Like, I, I really am constantly surprised by the audience we have with this podcast because, uh, as I've said before, I didn't think that many people remember it so weird. So it's kind of cool that we have people who write to us almost every week. So that's neat. And like we've been saying all along, at least for me, this was all about getting a conversation going about this show that we all love. And it's been just wonderful talking about it with people because no one I live around knows about the show. I've mentioned this. The thing was so weird is you never hear anybody talking about it. But the couple of times I've mentioned the show in public, everybody's like, oh, yeah, that was a good show. I remember that. So mm-hmm. as I've said, people remember the show, but there's just nothing pushing it back into the conversation. It's not brought up a lot. And I think a lot of that is on Disney's shoulders, just the refusal to acknowledge the show or release it in any way. But 
Yeah, and they seem to be trying to, like, you know, do some streaming things. They have brought back a couple more popular shows. But sadly, everybody who reaches out to them, they just kind of completely ignore the fans of this show. Well, it's going to be interesting with their streaming service. I'm sure they're going to get a lot of negative feedback either way (laughs) from people who want whatever on there. We'll just have to be really loud about it. Hopefully as more time goes on, you know, it's almost been 20 years. Um, So as more time goes on, hopefully they will start to acknowledge, you know, that this is a vintage show now and to try to bring it back for a younger audience or for the old audience. Hopefully eventually they will release it some way, somehow in good quality. You two are much more optimistic than me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've just been hoping for it for so long that, it's hard to give up that that dream of owning so weird on DVD or or just seeing it in the best quality ever. Would you say you've been doing what you can to keep the faith, Emily? <laughs> right. That's what I was going to say. I think that's what that whole slogan means for us as fans is to never give up on so weird and keep the faith, you know, that we will get it, an official release eventually, hopefully. Yeah, that's kind of what John Wiseman said in our interview was that it's really up to us. So good luck, everyone. I'm sorry, before we end, I wanted to do a little bit of a shameless promotion. Um, If fans didn't know, Alex Johnson has been recently tweeting and that she has reopened her store on alexjohnson.com and she's been selling a lot of what she's calling quote unquote vintage material from her her music projects so um a lot of like posters and t-shirts and cds that weren't available or haven't been available since their initial release are now available so you could go to alexjohnson.com and buy some of her old merch uh while supplies last all right. Well, the Alex super fans get on that. Yeah, yeah. I saw one that said voodoo, like a shirt that said voodoo. I thought that would be cool. It was $90. And I had one back in 2010 when I, when that was first released, I had one, but I've lost it over time. And I almost spent the $90 on that shirt. Thus concludes another episode of the so weird podcast. I am Zach. I'm Emily. And I'm Jimmy. Thank you for listening. And as always keep the faith.